You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews. So welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. And today we have with us Dr. George Demag. Dr. George Demag is an Associate Dean and Professor from Union University College of Pharmacy. Welcome, Dr. Demag. Thank you, Dr. Bartlett, and thank you to ASCP for allowing me this opportunity. Great. So Dr. Demag has written in a three-part article, very comprehensive, called Delirium and Its Pharmacological Causes in Older People, Parts 1, 2, and 3. These can be found in the Senior Care Pharmacist October, November, December 2021 publications. And Dr. Demag shares this publication with Deneen Demag and also with Dr. Ashok Fillow. So thank you so much again for being with us. And I just really found that this was such a wealth of information in regards to delirium and the medications that can increase the risk of delirium. And of course, we're always concerned about our older adult population and their care and safety. So thank you for putting this together. And we'll get into the questions. So first of all, I would just love to know a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in this subject and what prompted you to write such a comprehensive series on this. Well, my background is a PharmD and residency. And during my residency, it was a PGY1, but there was a, a geriatrician that I worked with in the family medicine department. And I did a couple extra months with him. And I think that team, I learned a lot and grew to appreciate the influence of drugs on patients, especially their cognition and their contribution to delirium. Following that experience, I worked in community hospital, where obviously you deal with a lot of elderly, older patients. And then I took a geriatric position in North Carolina and worked in uh, alongside consultants in nursing facilities. And I noticed that there was a void. It seemed to be there was a void in papers that talk about drug-induced delirium. And we know that about 40% of cases of delirium are related to medication. So I decided to compile back in the 90s a paper on drug-induced delirium, and that was published in Consultant Pharmacist. And this particular three-part series is an update from that. Following my experience in North Carolina, I spent 10 years in geriatric assessment slash neurology in a Michigan assessment clinic in Kalamazoo and worked alongside a geriatrician and a neurologist. And we did a lot of evaluation of dementia, other neurological disorders. And of course, our role was to eliminate unnecessary drugs because we did see delirium there as well. Wow, that's excellent. And what a wonderful background to have and work with geriatricians and neurologists in this area. I can imagine the contributions that the three of you must have had together and the importance for the patients and their outcomes. So as we've talked about, this three-part series just takes us through a variety of many medications that can increase the risk of delirium. I would love for you to share many of these medicines, but of course, there's way too many to add. But if you could highlight medications or families of medications, and then some that may not be so apparent, I'm really interested to hear how you came about on some of these meds and, and what were some of your surprises too. 
Yes, that's a very good question. So most of us are aware of the suppression of the cholinergic system is having an impact on delirium, but effects on GABA, overactivation of the dopaminergic system, and then other CNS suppression can contribute. And so the common drugs that many of us, especially the uh, consultants are aware about, are aware of tricyclics and antipsychotics and antihistamines, some of our Parkinson drugs, you know, some of our antiemetics and urinary antispasmodics, other antispasmodics. But then there's other drugs that have actually reports of uh, association with delirium, including some cardiac drugs like beta blockers, alpha blockers, calcium channel blockers, central alpha agonists like clonidine and which we don't use a lot anymore, even some anti-inflammatory drugs like indomethacin, and of course, anticonvulsants. We use some of those, gabapentin and those drugs for neuropathic pain in our older patients, and you really have to be careful with those as well. So I'll add to that even some antibiotics and antivirals. So the list is quite comprehensive, and I tried to break out in the paper, I tried to focus on these classes in, in actual anecdotal experience and case reports and case series. So it's pretty, the paper is pretty inclusive with some of these drugs that we wouldn't expect to contribute. Right, exactly. And like you said, the cardiology medications, anti-inflammatories, things that we wouldn't necessarily be our go-to when we're thinking about delirium. So it's a fascinating read and just wonderful information. In regards, I think we do see more of, you mentioned gabapentin as one of the anticonvulsants. And unfortunately, that is one that seems to be implicated more and more, especially as we see more people taking gabapentin for neuropathies. So it's too often seen in the hospitals, I think, with that medication. So really being able to back off is so important on these meds and being able to identify them. So you also mentioned that there's many facets to delirium and that it's difficult to diagnose and there's so many varying types of presentation. And you also mentioned that both prescription and non-prescription medications or over-the-counters can also cause delirium. Do you want to mention any of the over-the-counter medications that you might yes. have? Yes, especially the over-the-counter antihistamines that we find in our allergy products, cold products, but also our sleep aids. And then a class that's sometimes missed is the over-the-counter H2 antagonists, which numerous reports I, I discuss in my paper with uh, cimetidine, famotidine. And so those often are overlooked as well. And dosing them appropriately or considering other alternatives like PPIs for GERD maybe better options. So there's a number of, uh, of those drugs, primarily though the allergy cold products and the products used for sleep, which contain antihistamines. Right. Yeah. So it's even just not necessarily what people are being prescribed and what the pharmacist is handing somebody at the pharmacy, but really what people are picking up really at a lot of different locations. So Yes, real quick, a real interesting case, 72-year-old lady that was very functional but having periods of delirium was using a couple different antihistamines plus she was using some Tylenol PM and once those were removed, it was just pretty amazing how she cleared. Her family noticed, and this was back in our geriatric clinic, you know, the little lady was buying these things in the store for sleep and allergies. So we have to be very cognizant of that mm -hmm. and make sure we're not just 
looking at the things we're filling in our pharmacies because the uh, OTCs can definitely contribute. Sure. So you also mention in the conclusion, so in the in our December issue, you mentioned the importance of deprescribing. And I just would love to hear more about the deprescribing and can you comment further on the importance of deprescribing? And do you think it should start well before frailty occurs? Absolutely. One of the things that we noted with our elderly patients in our clinic was they would come in on you know, every, every time they went and had a comorbidity address, they seemed to be additive things. Or they'd go to the hospital for a short stay, they'd end up coming home with additional meds. And I think if we can prevent, I think the best way to treat or to handle deprescribing is don't prescribe things that aren't necessary. Unfortunately, we live in, you know, with comorbidities like heart failure, we often need two or three drugs. So it's challenging. But I think if we can prevent, I think deprescribing is basically what we did 10 years ago was cleaning up medication regimens and making sure we document which drugs are needed and which drugs are not needed. And our hospital friends help us with that, with medication reconciliation, cleaning up things before they leave and go back home or back to their nursing facility. So yes, we need to be, we need to, I think what we need is with the interprofessional team approach, which is what we're all trying to instill in our students, the pharmacist can play a role to make sure these unnecessary drugs are not started, or if they are started and, for, and they're used temporarily, that we can get rid of, we don't have to continue them, or we can monitor to make sure they don't stay on board longer than they need to sure. be. Absolutely. Just bringing back one of the types of medicines that you commented on earlier, you mentioned anticholinergic medications. And I know that there seems to be I think, and you might have been experiencing it previously, but that anticholinergic burden and the additive effects of anticholinergic burden. Do you think that the anticholinergic burden scales are helpful in this and in, in really uncovering this hidden burden, if you will? I believe they, they are. And there was one that I can point out from the Aging Brain Care at Indiana University that I think one of the authors there was uh, Busanti. And if you look at that, that burden uh, table that they put together, you see drugs like furosemide, isobide, dinitrate, metoprolol over in the score of one column. And most of these burden scores are up to three. And they talk about various drugs that are of higher risk. But a number of those drugs, again, we would not expect to have anticholinergic properties. In addition to that, you are listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Copeland, Podcast, ASCP's journal comes to life. With Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to and more it was author interesting. interviews. They did some longitudinal, there was some case control studies that associated anticholinergic drug burden and an incident dementia diagnosis. And again, we know there's a, it's a complex, the relationship there, but even the thought that anticholinergic properties may have detrimental effects on brain structure function. So with that said, I think the take-home message with those three authors is, you know, reducing the exposure to these drugs. And I think using one of these burden scores, which there's four or five of those out there, most of them have similar scales. I think they can be very relevant. But again, and they help us identify drugs that we wouldn't normally expect to have anticholinergic side effects. Absolutely. It's really interesting that you talk about 
the difficulty that anticholinergics impose on brain function and how it can possibly have quite a long effect for folks and a detrimental effect. So I do think that, you know, seeing somebody go through Mm -hmm. delirium, it really is really important that we take the time to identify the drugs that are culprits in this, if there are, and then of course, take action with that and reduce. So really important, especially when we are so concerned with our older adults living longer, and certainly it becomes more difficult when they have the cognitive difficulties that some express. So yeah, so thank you so much for this wonderful article. And I'm just curious, it sounds like you have such a great practice and information (laughs) on this topic. Could you provide words of wisdom for, say, pharmacy students or pharmacists that are practicing as to how they might bring awareness of delirium medications and deprescribing into their own practice, but also having individuals aware of this as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think Probably one of the issues is, you know, we, we use our tertiary references to dose drugs. We, and we're taught to use, you know, think renal function, think renal function. But we have to forget there's a, there's a concept of pharmacodynamics where, for example, if you look up gabapentin in a patient with a certain creatinine clearance, they might say the dose is BID, maybe 300 BID. But actually, pharmacodynamics may suggest that you actually use a different dose or a lower dose, because every older person is different. And I think just realizing that you have to think not just what the tertiary reference says, but look at the individual patient. And when pharmacy students are on rotation and they're looking at you know, massive med lists in their patients in the hospital or other facilities, they need to really think clearly through that and think about what kind of central effects does this drug have? Even though it's dosed appropriately for the kidneys, we have to think pharmacodynamics. So, and I think all pharmacists can can do that. So with multiple comorbidities, this this is quite a complex thing to do, but I think it's one of our roles and it's where we, what we should be doing. Absolutely. So really looking at the whole patient, and I love how you're talking about that yes. and not just to go with exactly, you know, what the chart says, but right. what how is the person actually feeling? So, And I have a son who's a physician and he mm. calls me a lot. He's <laughs> very young. He's a resident. Physicians, they have a lot of responsibility with prescribing, diagnosing, but they really need, they really appreciate what we can offer to them with drugs and dosing. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, that's in the last 10 years, we've, we're part of the team now, but they really do appreciate that. And then the nurse practitioners and PAs, it's challenging for them because they don't get the, they prescribe, but they don't get the training with, you know, kinetics and dynamics. So they can all always use our help as well. And they, they always appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, it just a little side note too, you know, you're talking about these other professionals and healthcare professionals. I ended up speaking to a dentist that I use and I said, Hey, you must see a lot of dry mouth thinking anticholinergics. And she goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I said, you know, we really have to start thinking, is it medicine that's causing this? And and have the patient go back to their, you know, physicians and prescribers to try to see if they can change medicines, too. So 
this early on type of, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to make changes so that we don't get to this point of (laughs) what you're, you know, you're writing about here can be a a wonderful help for individuals and their quality of life for sure. So again, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been wonderful speaking with you. And I encourage folks to read the three-part series that Dr. George Demag has offered and um, written for the Senior Care Pharmacist. These are available in the October, November, December publications of 2021. And we just want to always thank all of our listeners for taking the time to listen in and hear about caring for senior patients and really taking the time that they do with them to figure out maybe what could be an issue in their care. So thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time for what you do for our senior care pharmacists. Thank you very much, Dr. George DeMag, for being with us today. You're very welcome. And yeah, thank you so much. And this is a wrap up for the Senior Care Pharmacist podcast. I'm your host, Donna Bartlett. Please join us again. Thank you and have a great day. You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to more author interviews.